Good morning, everybody. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the leaders here, and it's my um, privilege to um, to lead you this morning in the Word. Um, <clears throat> but um, maybe before I do that, um, if you'll just indulge me for a moment as well. Um, um, I just wanted to reflect on on a great day yesterday as, as one of the, the Board of Hope Builders and... Um, um, if you didn't hear, you live under a rock, but we had our, our walk yesterday, our, our Go the Extra Mile um, walk. And, you know, I wanted to um, just, I wanted to praise God for an amazing day, just simply stunning. You know, when we had to cancel a, a month or a little over a month ago and we set this date, you know, um, we couldn't imagine what kind of day God would give us. And so I wanted to start by just saying in front of you guys just how great God is. You know how wonderful it was, but I also just wanted to um, let you know, and I, I know I speak on behalf of the board, just how great um, it is being part of this church that that supports um, what we do with Go the Extra Mile and um, what we do um, in in Uganda with Hope Builders as well, and particularly just the, the great support that we get from um, people practically, which is. Um, which is we're hugely grateful for, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I think of um, for ourselves, you know, first in the first instance of of, of our partners, um, I think of Paul and and Kathy and, and yesterday these things, these people, without these people, this it wouldn't have happened. Paul and Kathy, Lynette, Carolyn and, and Sue, and then but there's other people in the church, you know, Ray and Jules put um, a huge part of it. John Waters was a part of it yesterday, just before his sixtieth. Rod and Phil, a big part of it. Lauren and Isaac, Joel Poppenbeck, Steve Mawson, Scott, and I'm going to miss people. And then there's Jim. Where's Jim? Did he make it this morning? This man didn't just walk 50Ks yesterday. But he's also there the night before helping us set it all up and get it all going. And then he's walking the 50Ks yesterday. If you've not yet sponsored him, your sponsorship is still open. I encourage you. If you feel guilty because you haven't sponsored him, that is the Lord. <laughs> so uh, you get a chance to step up and do that anyway. But it's great. I was on one of the sections yesterday and a little in, in loop number three and, and um, a part way along the section. And Jim comes along and says, how are you going, Jim? He says, oh, not so good. He said, I did all of these loops. I practiced them all. He said, but it's different when you have to join them all together. <laughs> so, um, but he did an amazing job. But I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, before I went into the Word, I want to acknowledge how great God is and just how thankful we are for you guys as a church and the support and how much it means to us. So um, um, thanks very much. Good, let's move gears, shift gears, and um, let's look at the Word this morning. And it's great because we've um, been doing... This last couple of weeks, we've been talking about selfless prayer. Um, we started this year looking at what are the traits of a mature disciple, didn't we? And um, if you haven't, again, if you've been living under a rock, you haven't seen this. But if you've seen this, this is um, how we're picturing it. Um, what are the traits of a mature disciple? And they're the six things. And look, there's lots of content in there and there's probably other things. But these are the things we consider hallmarks, if you like, or of mature disciples. And we spent some time on being part of the church family. We um, did a, Joel and I did a four-week um, season on that. And now we're at the back end of our um, little four-week season on praying selflessly, um, being a selfless prayer. 
A mature disciple prays selflessly. And we've been looking at, for the last couple of weeks, what does that mean and what does that look like in our lives? You know, Joel began by helping us look at prayer and um, how we should see prayer and what it means. Then we looked at praying for those in God's family, both here and if you were here you might remember we got into groups and we prayed for all the churches around us and we've sent that out to the churches and um, last week Joel helped us to see that selfless prayer is standing in the gap for our world in our society and we prayed for the schools that are represented here that all of our kids that go to the different schools in the area we prayed for our nation we got on our knees and prayed for the world and for our nation and what we've been doing is we've been making this particularly practical. We've decided that talking about praying selflessly is one thing, but actually doing it is another thing. And so you've seen over the last couple of weeks how we've done that. And I hope that um, um, it kind of changes your prayer life and it has changed your prayer life just a little bit as well. In that, you know, I know for me that it's really easy at the end of the day or at the start of the day Um, to get into prayer and and start praying and then, you know, 10 minutes into my prayer and that's every minute there's a distraction. So actually, 10 minutes into my prayer, I've given God this amazing shopping list of things that He needs to do for me today. You know, He needs to get sorted. and, and And I know that that's only me. I know that you guys probably don't struggle with that as well. But it's been a real helpful thing to me for me to understand a little bit more about what it means to pray selflessly what it means to, to, to talk to God about other people, other churches, our world, and be really practical about it. And this week we're going to round it off. There is probably stacks more we could look at with selfless prayer, but this week we're going to round it off. And we're looking at how selfless prayer gets real for us as human beings, doesn't it? Prayer and selfless prayer is praying in such a way that we are prepared for God to use our self to bring about the answer. Let me say that again. Selfless prayer is praying in such a way that we are prepared that God can use our self, who we are, to bring about the answer. You know, in selfless prayer, we've learned that it's important to pray for things and for people outside of ourselves and our own interests. And we do, we, we, we do that. We pray for things that we, we, we pray for things and we, we love to see God answer prayer, don't we? We love um, having testimonies of, of that. We love hearing stuff. We love hearing about miracles. You know, we love to, to hear God answering prayer like brilliant weather for a 50, 50K walk. I mean, really. And we love talking about those sorts of things. We like to talk about, we like to give testimonies when we pray for for people of influence and we see them changed and we love that and and we see doctors used we see missionaries that go we love to pray for things and we love to see God answer prayer don't we but true selfless prayer means that even if God wants to use us our lives our talents our time and our resources to be the answer to the prayer then we're willing even if God wants to use us We pray, Lord, we pray, Lord, use me to answer this prayer. And we pray, show me how I could be used by you to answer this prayer or be part of the answer. Here I am, use me. That's what I want to talk about this morning. That is selfless prayer. Praying and saying, God, I pray for this situation. But then praying and saying, if you want me 
to step up in this. If you want me to be the answer to this prayer, if you want what I have to be a part of answering this prayer, then here I am, that selfless prayer. Someone once said, and I read this quote, and it wasn't, given to any, it wasn't attributed to anyone, so I sneakily for a few minutes thought about claiming it, but I thought someone will read it somewhere and there'll be a name and I'll be busted, so I won't do that, you know, so... He said, prayer, or he, they said, prayer shouldn't always be about asking God to change things. Instead, it's asking God to change us and give us his heart. And once we have his heart, we care about the things that he cares about. That's when things truly begin to change. And our reading this morning in Nehemiah, you know, he heard from those that had survived the exile. <clears throat> And those that had been allowed to go back to Jerusalem to, to rebuild the temple. And um, some of them were allowed to go back. And, and he inquires and he hears of their despair at, at how the, wall had, of the walls of Jerusalem had been decimated. And, and they had no protection from anyone or anything. And, and that was really important in those days. You know, we read about the walls of Jericho. We read about the walls of cities. The only defense the city had uh, against... Um, um, predators or people that would want to overthrow them were, were big, chunky, fat, huge, strong, fortified walls with people, um, with people looking out on the top. And so here they are trying to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and the walls are in ruins. And so they had no protection from anything or anyone. And furthermore, God's dwelling, the temple, was at risk. Here they were rebuilding the temple, but nothing was protecting it. The walls were down and the people were in fear. This was hugely disturbing to Nehemiah, as well as feeling the pain and vulnerability of his people. So he weeps and he prays and, and we read his prayer and he says, Oh, God, you know, Lord. And he, and he says in, 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 the, in, in uh, the first chapter, at the end of the first chapter, he says, Lord, hear the prayer of your servant. I'm, I'm praying for this. It's not right. Please intervene. Please step in. Now, somewhere in that prayer or somewhere in the process, we, we don't actually get insight into that. He realizes that he is the one to be the answer. He is the one to go and make it right, to put himself on the line that God wanted to use him. Now, this was no small or easy little decision. Oh, look, I'll just, you know, it wasn't a case of... Um, oh man, I'm going to have to give up a night at home watching TV. Or it wasn't a case of chucking a few dollars into a collection or do a quick mission trip, take a day off work or use a little bit of annual leave, maybe experience a little bit of discomfort or be misunderstood. Those are all things that we don't like and, and it was much bigger than that. Now, he was the cupbearer to the king, which was a good job because you got to be in the king's presence and if the king liked you and you gave him the good wine, you didn't get, you know. Um, so he was a cupbearer. He was close to the king. But that meant he had to ask the emperor, or the emperor rather, he was, had to ask the emperor who, although he was sympathetic, the emperor was sympathetic to the cause of the Jews, he was the one that allowed some of them to go back and rebuild the temple. Although he was sympathetic to the cause of the Jews, he was not a Jew, and he had no real reason to sacrifice anything for the sake of the Jews. So for Nehemiah to be the answer to his prayers wasn't an easy thing, but he stepped up. And we know 
uh, we know the rest of the story with Nehemiah, don't we? There's, you know, I was, when I was doing this, I'm thinking, I've got to have a talk to Joel. There's three months' worth of sermons in Nehemiah we could do at some stage because there's some brilliant, brilliant life lessons in there. But we know the story, don't we? we? He went to rebuild the walls. He rallied people. There was opposition. They got picked on and, and all sorts of stuff happened. But he stepped up knowing that it was huge, but he was going to be the answer. See, Nehemiah had a sense that to follow God as well as love God's people and care for God's people, that it was going to require him to be selfless in a significant way. You know, we have other examples of that too, don't we? Moses was um, someone who loved his people and it pained him to see that they were under oppression and being whipped and um, being abused. So he stepped up and, and admittedly, perhaps in the first instance in the wrong way, but even after a long season, God called him to be the answer to his prayers for his people, didn't he? God would ask him for a huge sacrifice to, to lead the nation out, to, to, to um, negotiate with Pharaoh and to lead his, the nation out of Egypt. And he was a bit reluctant to begin with, if you remember the story, right? And I actually get that. I've been even more reluctant to be obedient. I was considering, you know, these guys that stepped up to be the answer to prayer. And then I was reading Moses and, and reading how he was a bit reluctant, how, oh, I stutter. I can't speak real good. Don't think I really want to do that, you know. And then I, you know, we can look at characters in the Bible sometimes and feel like, oh, man, it's God, you know. But then you look at yourself, you know, and I realized, hang on a second, you know. I've been even more reluctant to be obedient and to be selfless to the point of refusing. And I didn't even get a burning bush. So for Nehemiah and for Moses, there was a realization that they belonged to God, that their lives were His, and they were created and intended to serve Him, to serve God. They had this sense, didn't they? They had this this overarching, I'm guessing they were humans like me and you and I, and they loved the things that they loved, and they had their favorite foods and their favorite pastimes, and there was probably no internet then, so they couldn't do that. But they had, you know, they were normal people. It's not like they were specially, and yet there was this deep sense, there was this deep overarching um, realization that they were created for, by, and for God, and that they were intended for Him that they belonged to him and that, that if he was to call on them and he was to require something of them, that would be what they would do. They were thankful for God's work in their lives, thankful for God's work in, in their nation. And they had, this, they had a sense that their lives were to bring glory to God. And when you think like that, when they thought like that, when you think like that, it is not out of the realms of possible, is it? for God to call them and to use them, for God to call us and to use us. Isaiah was another one, you know, um, and you, you might remember in Isaiah chapter 6, you know, Isaiah is heading to the temple. He's, he's heading to uh, church on Sunday like you and I. You know, here he is wandering off to the temple and he gets to the temple and then the last thing that he ever expected to happen happens. God shows up. 
You know, and all of a sudden, in the presence of God, he realizes um, just how sinful him and his nation are. And, and you might remember when the burning coal came down onto his lips and cleansed him. And, and then God says, you know, <clears throat> yep, I've heard you, but you, you're, you're, you're cleansed, you're healed, you belong to me. You're a, you, you, you now are um, someone in my service. And he called him his own. He belonged to God. And immediately off the back of that, immediately off the back of that, God says, I need someone to go to a far land, to a people. I need someone to go and speak to these people about me. I need you to speak to a stub. I need someone to speak to a stubborn people that are never, ever, ever, ever going to listen or respond. Have you ever had a call like that? I want you to go and do something. It's not going to work. Have you? Well, that's basically what he said. You know, I need someone to go to talk to this nation. These, these are stubborn people and, and they're never ever going to listen. They're not going to respond. What's Isaiah say straight away? Anyone remember? Here I am. Send me. Why? Because he knew he belonged to God. He knew that his life didn't belong to him anymore, that that was selfless. Here I am. Send me. I'll be the answer. My life and my turn. Time. Maybe a little bit more modern day example. And how many of you know the story of Corrie ten Boom? Some of you know the story of during the Second World War. Well, it started long before her and her family. Corrie's grandfather, Willem ten Boom, he felt the need to pray for the Jewish people after a moving worship service. In 1844, so this is 100 years before the war, in 1844, the Ten Boom family, along with friends and neighbors, started a weekly prayer meeting for Jewish people. Every week they prayed specifically prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, protection for the Jewish people, and, prosper, and that they would prosper and love God. And these meetings took place every week for 100 years. They only stopped February the 28th, 1944, when the Nazi soldiers came to the house and took the family away. But leading up to that, they lost their shop. They hid Jews. You know, the, you know those of you who know the story. The prayer that they prayed for the selfless, for the Jews led them to selfless service to be the answer to the prayers. Their prayer led them to be the answer to the troubles of the Jewish people. They would hide them, and it cost them everything. It cost most of their families their lives in the um, concentration camps. And these are really big examples. And, you know, you sort of, when you're doing this sort of stuff, you think, how, do, how does average Joe aspire to that sort of thing? Well, these guys were probably average Joes as well. So if you are an average Joe, you can, is the first message. But it doesn't have to always be that big, does it? You don't have to build hidey holes in your attic for Jews or for people, you know, maybe. Sometimes it is just a few dollars. Sometimes it is just a couple of hours or skipping that night in that you love having. Sometimes it is just a little bit of discomfort for a bit. As Christians and as churches, we very easily listen to needs, don't we? We get prayer needs, we, we hear testimonies and we hear of a need. And our response can often be to pat someone on the back and say, Hey, I'll pray for you. And we might even, but then we might not. I'll pray for you this week. Oh, oh gee, that's tough. You know, I'll pray for you. Let me... And we may even pray for them. Or when we hear of a need, we're, we're hearing someone share of a need in the world or in, in, our, in, our, in our, 
our town or our city or our place and we decide that we'll pray for them. But sometimes we need to do more than pray. I read this, this story this week and I just wanted to read it out <clears throat> as a bit of an example of that. And this, this lady wrote, There was a time not long ago when I felt the world was crashing down around me. My mum had broken her back and I was her sole caretaker. There were family issues and financial stresses. I was so exhausted both physically and emotionally. I wasn't sure how I would survive my days. It felt like the world had gone cold. And although I trusted that God would see us through, the actual battle to believe it was enormous. I needed to know that God was close, that Jesus wasn't far removed, but instead that he cared. He cared that I couldn't go grocery shopping without leaving my mum. A God that understood that medical bills and prescriptions are costly and sometimes the paycheck doesn't stretch far enough. I needed a God who got that homeschooling on a few hours of sleep was overwhelming. And sometimes everyone's needs were much too much for me to juggle. So I knew that God was close in theory, but God's people were the ones that helped me demonstrate it, helped demonstrate it. They brought dinners. They sent a gift card for groceries right when we needed it most. They took my kids to the park for me to get a break. One of my mum's friends covered my doctor's fee and prescriptions so that I would be better equipped to take care of my mum during a time when I was struggling mentally. She saw a need that she could meet and she did. God's people were the ones who lifted us in prayer, who sat with me through the tears, who reached out to say, how can we meet you in this? So I was sharing this experience with a friend recently and she said, that's surprising. I knew what she meant because for many that hasn't been their experience in the church. Many people I know who have great need have been met with pats on the back or a hasty verse quoted at them about trusting in God for provision. Many have had tons of offers for prayer, but not one dollar towards helping them out of a difficult situation. Now, I know this might get pushed back in some churches, so I hope you hear my heart when I say, sometimes we need to do more than just offer to pray. Not because prayer isn't powerful or necessary, because it is. But sometimes after we've prayed, God is asking us to move to invest more than our words, invest our time, our energy, our money, our gifts and our presence. He's calling us to gather, gather around and push in close, not just to him, but to each other. Sometimes we're the answer to someone's prayers. Selfless prayer can actually mean that, that we offer ourselves what we have and what we can do for God to use in whatever way he would want in order to answer. That we would be willing to be the answer to our own prayers or be willing to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Selfless prayer will cause us to rally ourselves and, and people into action. It'll cause us to give sacrificially. It'll cause us to resource things where, it's, where they're needed to be resourced. It'll cause us to go if it needs to be done, or go if someone needs to go. It'll cause us to step into the gap for the needs and causes that we pray for. But selfless prayer takes courage, doesn't it? Nehemiah needed enormous courage to do what he did. And selfless prayer sometimes takes courage because it's taking it beyond words, and words 
are much easier. Selfless prayer makes us active partners in God's work. You know, I'm not sure if you've ever had the experience. Have you ever had an experience where you're urged to do something about a prayer or a situation you hear something about? And, and something inside you, you have your heart beating and you kind of know that, that, that God's talking to you. And, you know, I have to confess that so many times I suppress that. I don't know if you've had that feeling. You, you know, Mick prayed this morning and, and he asked us just to be quiet and pray for, for needs in the world or pray for sick people and that. You've often been to, you've been to places where someone's come up and, and shared pictures with you of a need somewhere in the world or something like that. And you've probably sat there and, and they've said what they really need and, and, and you've probably sat there and thought, gee, I could probably help with that. And you feel your heart beating a little bit faster. Has anyone had that experience or is that only me? That's God. And I'm sad to say that often I just push that away because, you know, I kind of like my time and my money and my stuff and my safety, my security and my everything. Don't I? It is God. He's speaking to you. And, you know, selfless prayer is responding to that. And we don't respond to selfless prayer to be heroes. We don't respond to selfless prayer because we think that, that God will be abundant to us. We respond to selfless prayer out of obedience. We step up to the plate knowing that God is the God of that situation, but He's also the God of my life. He also knows who I am. He also will be there when I need Him. My final example, and probably the greatest example we have, not probably, the greatest example we have, is Jesus himself, isn't it? We can talk about Corrie Tembo, we can talk about Nehemiah and Moses and all the juniors, but this is Jesus. In John chapter 17, and myriads of times in the Bible, he prays for us. Jesus prayed for his, his disciples and prays for us, for unity. Prays for our salvation from sin and death. Prayed that we would enjoy the privilege of eternal life. And for Jesus, for that prayer to be answered, he had to be extremely selfless. Extremely. Way beyond a couple of dollars. Way beyond a few days, a few weeks. Way beyond a bit of discomfort or being misunderstood. But Jesus, it cost him his life, his life for our life. That was the deal. That was the answer to the prayer, to the many prayers. He would step into the gap. He would fight for us against the power of sin. He did fight for us against the power of sin. He was and he will always be the answer to our prayers through the ages, the answer when we pray, Lord, save us from our sin. The most selfless act, the most selfless act of all time was for us, for me, for you. We're already the recipients of the most selfless act in the world. The most selfless prayers in history were prayed for us and answered by Jesus himself. So when you consider that, it puts our call to be selfless prayers 
to the point of allowing God to use us, our lives and our resources, it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? It puts that whole call of God for us to be selfless prayers into perspective. It's not necessarily easy. It's true. It's sometimes tough. And even Jesus prayed, didn't he, in the Garden of the Gethsemane? He even said, God, you know, let, you know if, if it's your will, can this cup, can, can I not do this? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever said, God, I know you want me to do this, but please, if there's someone else. You know, I could tell you stories when we've, you know, in, in, when we were in missions, when we were doing things, I just prayed, surely it's got to be someone else that can do this. Surely, what am I doing here? Even Jesus prayed that prayer, didn't he? Even Jesus needed to be lifted by his Father, carried by his Father, encouraged by his Father to be selfless. What makes us think that we don't need that? The Heidelberg Catechism answers the question, it, has, it poses a question, what is my only comfort in life and death? And this is how it answers it, a very profound statement. The answer is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul. With all my stuff and all my dreams and desires, I added that to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's the number one question in Heidelberg. What is my only comfort? What is your only comfort in life and death? What, what makes you feel like you can do this? What makes you even assume that you could be a selfless, uh, uh, that you could selflessly answer someone's prayer? Well, that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that the truth? Is it? All your stuff? Bits, your pieces, your desires, your dreams, your family, your security, your house, your future, your career. Is it? He saved me, now I live for him. Here I am, Lord. Use me, send me. Jesus said to his father, Here I am, send me. What a lead in to the Lord's Supper. Can you find a better segue? Can you help me find a better link to Lord's Supper? Because seriously, that's what we celebrate, isn't it? For Nehemiah and for Moses and for others in the Bible, for Corrie ten Boom and perhaps for sometimes in your room, in your life, there would be a road to walk in order to live out selflessly the answer to prayer for each one of them. But their love for God and their love for those that they would give themselves to would serve as the motivation. And for Jesus, that road was extreme and tough. But he was driven by love for his Father and love for us. <clears throat> you and I, right now, right here. Motivated by that, he gave his own life so that we could have life. And we need only to accept that gift of life from his hands, accept that we need his saving work to answer the deepest need and the deepest prayer of our lives. And to step into relationship with him. What a gift. The example we have when we want to look for who... We can look at Nehemiah, we can look at Moses, we can look at Isaiah, we can look at people in history. But the example we have is Jesus himself. Isn't it? And so we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. you know, And I really do think that's a brilliant way to understand 
the work of Jesus on the cross. To understand that Jesus <clears throat> knew that the, to answer the prayers that he prayed for us, to answer the, the love of his Father's heart, that he would have to be selfless, wouldn't he? And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we testify to our own hearts, firstly, I think, and then to those of us around. That's why we do it as a community, to those of us around us. We testify to the extent of that love, how great that love of Jesus was. We're telling ourselves, we're saying, wow, this reminds me of, of what Jesus did. And we're, we're telling each other, you know what? And, and when you come forward, and you'll often hear the, 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 the leaders say, you know, Jesus' body broken for you or Jesus' blood shed for you. And there's a reason you hear that, because it's true. Because it just helps you to understand what Jesus did for you. We celebrate also in obedience because Jesus called us to remember and believe. He said, you know, I want you to do this. I want you to remember and believe. Not because I don't want you to forget me. Not because I don't want to, you know, because you need it. You need to remember and believe. You need to be encouraged. You need to recognize how much, how much you are loved. How important you are. And so he called, he said to the disciples, look, when you, when you gather together, remember and believe. When you get together, tell each other, you know, because you, know, you need that. You, you need to know how much you're loved and how much my Father in heaven, what extent he went to so that you can be a community together and you can belong to me. That your lives are redeemed because of his selfless act of love. And so those words echo, don't you, when we talk about when you gather do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that today. And I'm going to invite you if, you, um, if you believe that Jesus did that for you, if you understand and believe that the selfless act of Jesus on the cross to give his life was so that you could have life, and if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you to be part of this celebration, be part of hearing God Say that to your heart this morning and hearing each other say that this, this was for you. This was for you. This is what Jesus did for you. And he, and, and he modeled it for us. And initially, you know, and at, at the supper with the disciples, he, um, he was about to be betrayed. The night that he was going to be betrayed, he'd been having dinner with his, with his guys. And um, when he had given thanks, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. He said, this is my body, which is for you. You know, do this, you know, get together like this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, when they'd finished eating and they took the cup, and he took the cup and he said, uh, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, remember in remembrance of me. Because whenever you eat this bread or whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes, and that's really weird language. I think I've said that here before. You know, I used to wonder when the when the pastor, when the minister said, you know, when you do this, I'd watch my parents go up and you proclaim the Lord's death, like glorifying it or something like that. But basically, you're telling yourself and you're telling each other, you're proclaiming, this is what Jesus did for me. This is the extent that he went to for me, and you're proclaiming the Lord's death as something that, wow, without it, I would be lost. This is amazing. This is how good God is. 
So I want you to think of that when you come forward. I'm going to ask our leaders to come forward now. And um, they'll be uh, just come in two lines. And as, you, as they, they share with you and as, as you hear them say, Jesus' body broken for you or Jesus' blood shed for you, I want you to just be thinking of how selfless Jesus was to do that. I started thinking if I would ever do that, I reckon I'd chicken right out. I, I know I'd chicken right out, I don't reckon. But I'm just so thankful that Jesus did it for me. So come on forward and then once you've got the elements Hop back in your seats and then we will celebrate it together.